This is Phaedra, America's crisis coach, and you're listening to Speakers on Speaking. Sometimes life sucks. I help it suck less. And I showed up there as I would always show up to anything. You shouldn't speak from the stage when you're not emotionally well. I used to get in trouble for talking too much, and now I get paid so much money to talk. It's just mind-boggling. Welcome to Speakers on Speaking. And on today's show, we have Phaedra, America's crisis coach. So get ready to listen, learn, and launch your speaking career on Speakers on Speaking. Well, Speakers on Speaking community, this is the first of many interviews to come. And I'm excited that you're here listening to my first interview with Phaedra. America's Crisis Coach. You're going to love this interview because this is my very first interview and Phaedra did a fantastic job coaching me through this process, helping me give a awesome performance, if I must say so myself. But I, you know, there's a lot of room to grow. So, but before you get started, we're kind of just getting things set up for the show. So what I will always do for the show, for the interview, is share with you some insights. So if you go to the speakersonspeaking.com website and click on episode two, Phaedra, America's Crisis Coach, you'll see her speakers page. And on that page, you'll see a little bit more about who she is, her bio, but also you'll see the SOS section, the Speakers on Speaking support section. That section is critical to you because that's going to give you the insight. That's going to give you the questions and thoughts that were running through my head. More importantly, she's answering those questions or providing some insights to those thoughts. So definitely check in on the website to to get that information as you listen and learn with Phaedra, America's Crisis Code. So I hope you're ready to sit back. I hope you're ready to listen. Phaedra. I hope you're ready to learn with Phaedra. But after the interview, I hope she gives you encouragement to launch your speaking career on Speakers on Speaking. You're going to love this show. Well, Phaedra, thank you very much for joining us on the Speakers on Speaking podcast. How are you doing today? I am doing great. And thank you so much for having me. Tell me a little bit more about your story as the Phaedra the Crisis Coach. What is that? So I am known in pop culture as Phaedra, America's Crisis Coach, and I come alongside people going through the worst times of their lives. And basically, sometimes life sucks. I help it suck less. That's the nutshell version. I love that line. I love that line. So I did a little research about you. And uh, again, what an amazing journey. You used to be called a divorce coach, and then all of a sudden you had a change, a platform change. What happened there? So for me, I was really well known in the area of divorce, and my background is all in psychology, mental health. I worked for 22 years in family court services as a mediator, and I worked in mental health and as a social worker. So that was my platform and my background, and I was really well known for helping people understand the effects of divorce, so much so that I've written books about it. I have a children's series, and that was really my main focus. And I went through a personal situation in 2008 that was really, really tough. And it left me actually at the brink of suicide. And I can talk about that now because I'm on the other side. But when it was happening, I was really, really stuck. And, you know, here I am with all this, you know, 
experience and education, and I should know what to do to help myself get through any tough crisis. And yet I hit a wall. So I had to figure out what was going on. And I'm happy and proud to say that I did figure it out. And it actually upped my cachet, my ability to work with people who have gone through very, very intense situations. And while my story might not be the same as somebody else's, mine was tied to a national public scandal. That might not be your listener's experience, but I can guarantee you that the full range of human emotion is the same. And so I really started working with people who were going through not only divorce, which in and of itself is a really painful situation, but I was then working with people who, like me, maybe they were going through a legal issue. Maybe they had a family member who was murdered, or maybe they were brutally assaulted and they needed to figure out how to trust again or how to move through life and, and not be scared. So I started working with people and I, net, I niched up, as they say. So niching is so important. And I widened my niche. And I believe that we don't choose our names as far as who we are in the world. I believe that people give them to us. And I had a client tell me, you know, you're not America's divorce coach. You're actually America's crisis coach. And that's really where the shift came from. And when you went from divorce coach, obviously being a divorce coach, you have a specific clientele that you're working with to crisis coach. I I imagine that your your audience, your potential clients change because of that change in your, I guess, your um, support. Absolutely. Divorce is still a primary uh, service. Helping people through divorce is a primary service that I provide. But now I work with people who have been through many, many more types of situations. And like I said earlier, it, the, the full range of human emotion is the same actually what I do to help somebody through their crisis is not different really than what we did in divorce. Although there's practical pieces when it comes to divorce. I mean, I am an expert in what's going to happen legally, financially, emotionally. Now, if we're talking about um, an issue with maybe um, terminal illness, we're not going to talk about divorce issues specifically, but we're definitely going to talk about the same elements of grief and loss, how to get your ducks in a row, how to have an advanced directive, how to have a will, how to have your wishes be known. I mean, if you pick whatever crisis we're in, uh-huh. I get down to the very brass tacks about what needs to happen. And that, of course, that was the birth of my speaking career, the birth of my podcast that has recently launched. So it all dovetails into these other ways that I use speaking to feed into and and help my business grow. So since you're on the topic of speaking, and we are here to have speakers talk to inspiring speakers, let's talk about when you began as a speaker how did you get into it i'm sure you didn't say i'm mad i'm so mad i'm going to get a divorce or i'm going to have go through this crisis and then i'm going to tell the world about this and that began your speaking career is that how it happened or was there a different kind of science that was involved in that well, it's funny because we are born and we consider that our nature. And then we also have our life experiences and we consider that our nurture. Okay. And one of the things that I love to tell people is when I was a child, my natural tendency was to talk. I was a natural born storyteller. I was a natural born communicator. And I really enjoyed the process of delivering information. Now, in the classroom, that wasn't necessarily rewarded. And I come from the old school way of teaching where teachers would 
manage a classroom's behavior by singling one person out and using them as an example. So I talk about a story when I was in fifth grade and I talked too much. I had a very high IQ. I finished my work quickly. I wasn't getting the uh, stimulation in the classroom that I needed. And so I was helping my neighbor and I was doing different things. And I had a teacher make me wear a box on my head. And it was incredibly humiliating. It was very shameful. I internalized that my mouth... All because you were talking. Yeah. My mouth was just, you know, motor mouth. That was a word that I heard a lot when I was a kid. And what I tell people now, because I speak about that actual subject, I tell people, I used to get in trouble for talking too much. And now I get paid so much money to talk. It's just mind boggling. And so we have our nature, our our natural tendency. And then we have our nurture, right? If if I had been in a situation that had really fostered my communication, perhaps I would have, you know, went down the path sooner, quicker, more effectively, more efficiently. A lot of times when speakers run into something like I did as a child, they stop talking, right? They internalize that they're bad or their voice doesn't matter. So that was the beginning of my just knowing that I felt comfortable with communicating and comfortable with speaking. As I moved through life and I went into the J-O-B where I came from in a, a small Northern California town, most people for gainful employment were either uh, working for the county or they had like a city job. So I went into the field of mental health and social work. And what happened for me is I gravitated towards the educational roles. So if there was a community liaison or if there was an opportunity to be at the career fair, I was always that gal that was going to represent, right, what it was like. So I actually sought out uh, experiences within my job where I could speak. So that was just these natural tendencies that I had. And as I moved on in my career, I was very fortunate. I moved up the ladder very quickly and into administration. And I had lots of opportunities to be a spokesperson or represent or what have you. So it afforded me the opportunity to really know that I was good at it. And I Uh really, really liked it. And when I went into the online world and really started to develop this brand that was separate from the J-O-B, speaking became a requirement. It was a marketing skill that needed to be honed and used well. And for me, the learning curve was very short because I was already predispositioned to be a speaker. So it sounds like you were, you were speaking as a, as a youth, obviously, but as you got into the GOB, the job, that became a function of your job and you were very good at that. But you made a transition from your your job to a professional speaker or a speaker who was aspiring to be a professional speaker, but your topic was on divorce when you got started, or were you speaking on something else prior to that, and then you transitioned into divorce or issues surrounding divorce or crisis? How did, what was the, I guess, the sequence? What came first? Sure. It really started with blogging, and I was blogging before blogging was a thing. Back then, it was like an electronic diary. There were um, services like blogspot.com, and anybody could get a free blog. And so I was doing that back then. And really, the I speak the way I write. It's very conversational. It's a good thing. Yes. I'm, I, people tell me I'm funny. 
Um, so I use a lot of humor in my writing. So I think humor is a, a vehicle that we use to protect ourselves and mm-hmm. to make other people comfortable with the dark subject matter. And for me in, in this current role, I'm not allowed, nor would I choose to ever divulge the identity of the people that I work with. And I work with celebrities and professional athletes and very well-known people. And I can't talk about what we're doing behind the scenes. So I have to be careful, but I use a lot of humor in how I just communicate in life in general. And that's just part of the fabric of my being. But back to your question, blogging was more of an opportunity for me than speaking initially, but it gave me a voice and it created an audience. And I developed a fan base that liked what they called my snarky banter or my snarky humor. And I found that I was able to go and be a part of something. For example, I was honored by Girls Inc. one year as one of their women of the year. And it was an opportunity for me to go and speak And it was really based on abuse. And my story really begins in that space. I was sexually abused and emotionally abused and physically abused from the time I was three until I was 13. So all my formative years, I lived in a very, very scary environment. And I would talk about that, quotes, air quotes, in my blog. And I would offer opportunities for me to come and speak perhaps to, you know, in that case, young women and girls about that. So let's stop right there because that's a critical piece right there because I I know a lot of speakers out there have a personal testimony of a situation. It sounds like you went through a dark period of time. How comfortable was it for you to take the stage and reveal certain things to an audience that you've never met on a level where they could connect with you? I mean, I'm sure it wasn't like, hey, let me tell you all about my my dark story. Or how did you make that transition from maybe a a job-related public speaking position dealing with that content to a personal story dealing with dark content? Well, I'll tell you, this is a very excellent question, and I want your listeners to really lean in because this is going to be super valuable. One of the things that I do when I work with people going through crisis is to get them to the point you're describing. A lot of people are stuck in their moment, or as I like to say, everybody's hiding something. And as long as they're not talking about it, it is the big white elephant in the room. And if they were even to try to talk about it, they'd probably become so overwhelmed with emotion that it would come across awkward for them and for their, the audience. And the key is to work through your stuff to the point where you're actually telling the story as if it happened to somebody else. And so talking about my scandal, if you were to ask me to talk about that two years ago, three years ago, my tongue literally would have felt four inches thick and I wouldn't have been able to do it. And I've been a a guest on many, many podcasts telling that story. And if I go back and listen to the beginning, you can still hear the defensiveness in the voice, in my voice and the, the, pain and I was in that moment still, but now I can talk about it very matter-of-factly and it's because I've honed my craft and I'm well. You shouldn't speak from the stage when you're not emotionally well. If you are unwell, that topic should be off the table for you. Wow. That's, that's, you should not speak on the stage if you're not well. That right there is something to pause on. And you actually said something that I, I, I know this is not the first time you said it. You're not just talking off, off the cuff. Stuck in your moment. 
That sounds like you've said that before. Yes, absolutely. I've worked with thousands of people who've been stuck in their moment. And one of the things that I love about my job is when people are out the other side, I call it coming through the fire. When you're out of the fire, what happens is you have this burning desire to make that mess into a message. And some people write a book. Some people become platform speakers. Some people start podcasts. Some people do whatever it is they do. And I help them find what that is that they want to do and plug them into the people that can help them do that. So in the speaking profession, it would be really about knowing your story, but also having it be from a place of purpose. Why would we, would I talk about sexual abuse unless I wanted to teach a lesson, show hope, show whatever outcome? That is strategy and that is valuable. Otherwise, it's just noise. So how long have you been a professional speaker? Well over 10 years. What are the takeaways from being a professional speaker that you want to share? The main takeaways are there's a time when you have to do the grind and you're going to speak for free and you're going to speak anywhere and everywhere that anybody's going to allow you to be. And you're not always going to feel valued. You're not always going to feel heard, but you're going to get your chops. You're going to learn how to read an audience. You're going to learn how to use, you know, your body as nonverbal communication. You're going to learn how to develop a brand and how to have a presence, um, charisma. All those things are going to matter. And you're going to develop those when you're doing the grind. And eventually you're going to come to this place where you're like, you know what, I'm done not being paid what I'm valued or, or not having the audiences that I should have access to. How did you come to that epiphany? When did you say, this is, I, I, I just should be rewarded for my time. Where were you when you made that decision? The main, the first time that ever happened, it's kind of a backstory. So for many years, I was an administrator for adult residential facilities, which meant that I had a license that I could own, operate, manage uh, residential facilities for people who were chronically mentally ill. And I had my own housing program. So I had an apartment complex with 24 people who I kept in the community versus being locked up in hospitals. And that was really cool. Well, one of the requirements of that was continuing education. So I went to a 40-hour week-long CEU program, and I showed up there as I would always show up to anything, dressed well, makeup done, you know, ready to just be there. And in the course of the week, I was contributing meaningfully to the communication. I was engaging. And apparently, I was making an impression on the company that was hosting and delivering these continuing education units. So much so that at the end, they approached me and asked me if I, how long I had been public speaking. And at the time, I'd only been doing it, as I said, for business and administration. I'd never been officially really paid for it. Mm -hmm. And they assumed that I had, and they offered me a job. And it was really cool because their whole program was designed to be delivered in really exotic places and luxurious accommodations. And it was a really entertaining experience. And so I was allowed to go on and work with them. And I've been to Hawaii. I had been to Las Vegas and I was making really good money for the first time. And so when I realized when I was a repeat guest or that I had a quote following or that people were asking for me to be there, 
we really want Phaedra at the front of the room, I started to see that there was value. It was not just how much fun I was having, because a lot of us speak because it gives us energy. But when we realize that I'm a commodity, this voice, this presentation, this way of being, I can use that to get income. So that was my pivotal shifting point. Wow. So you you really said, I have a tribe. Seth Godin says you gotta build that tribe. And you you from your experience, from your from your work, you start to see people gravitating to you. You say, This is this is something I've got a product to sell. Yeah, and you're gonna have to reestablish that tribe over and over again. When I was offline and just working in a certain geographical area, I was very well known and it was fairly easy to get referrals or to get speaking opportunities. When I went online, I was invisible and everybody has their tribe and their click and everybody refers from within. So penetrating new places to be able to speak was difficult. And it was almost like there was an expectation to go back to the grind and go in and give a lot of free talks in hopes that the right people would notice you and invite you in. And I've learned to circumvent that and be able to show up to a brand new situation fully as myself with the full expectation that I'm going to serve and you're going to receive and that it's going to be if not on a paid level, it's going to be at a level where I know maybe in the back end I'm going to make the money. So it isn't always paid up front speaking because um, that is a lot of keynote speaking and there's a lot we could talk about that in particular, but there's all different types of speaking. So Phaedra, the crisis coach, tell us about your worst speaking moment and how did you coach yourself through that crisis? <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Okay. Um, I think the worst speaking moment that I had was with an audience that was not as receptive to what I was talking about as I had hoped. And a lot of times that happens when we are speaking in a place where people know us. Um, it's more difficult sometimes if there are people in the room who are maybe not um, 100% a fan or 100% bought in that you're an expert in that area. So for me, there were a couple of times where I felt like things bombed. They didn't go as well as I had wanted because maybe I was intimidated by a perception that I was picking up off of someone's nonverbal communication. And so the way that I had to get myself through that is you literally have to redirect your voice, redirect your presence and almost get that person out of your periphery or out of your line of sight so they can no longer affect you with your perception that they're being negative. When you're on stage, was it a big distraction for you or a minor distraction? Well, everybody reacts differently. Uh, For me, if I get nervous or intimidated or scared, it's going to show up, my voice is going to go higher, and I'm going to feel hot. So that's a rush of adrenaline. So you have to compose your breathing. And don't be afraid of a specifically strategically placed pause. Right. Because that pause will give you a chance to recover, and it will give the audience, you know, a subtle hint of, okay, we're shifting. Right. Right. So... 
part of the focus of speakers on speaking is to help other speakers. And so this is our SOS moment, our speaker on speaker moment, where I want, to, want you to give us a time when you knew that the work that you are doing or you were doing, you're currently doing as a crisis coach, when you said, man, I am making a difference. Could you share when that epiphany just hit you like, wow, look at, look at what I'm able to tap into from this platform? Yes, it was a really small thing in the totality of where my career has been. But the very first time that a representative of Huffington Post got a hold of me and asked me to be a guest on Huffington Post Live, that was such a pivotal moment for me because this was, you know, a international opportunity and that they sought me out and saw me as an expert. It was a real massive case of, wow, what I'm doing is working. It's impacting people so much so that they want me to come on and be on their show. And I've had amazing things happen since then, but that happened at such a valuable time for me in my career that it really stands out. Wow. That's amazing. And you know, that's the key thing that I like. I think a lot of speakers out there, aspiring speakers, you look for that moment where you say the it makes a difference, you know, the time away from my family or the time that I'm putting in the grind late at night or even these podcasts. It makes a difference when when other people who don't have any connection to you other than they just know of you can say, wow, you know, I'm so glad that I participated in Phaedra's um, ex- experience. So, yeah, that's an awesome thing. So a couple more questions and we're, we are definitely getting down to the last portion of this podcast. And so, so, so thankful that you have the time for us. This is our SOS round for our aspiring speakers. Those quick little things that you do when when you're faced with these situations. So how do you deal with fear? There's a couple things I do. I try to be as absolutely prepared as possible. So there's no real chance that the content will be the issue. And that I know it so well that even if I get flustered, I can generally deliver. The other thing is self-care. Really taking care of yourself, your health, your physicality, your spirit, your well-being. If you are putting yourself last, it's really hard for you to show up powerfully in front of all this audience that expects you to be on and to be wonderful. So self-care is super important, whatever that looks like for you. I could tell you what it is for Phaedra, but it's kind of irrelevant. Just make sure that you're doing what works for you. Awesome. How do you keep from procrastinating? It's it's not in my nature really to procrastinate. I'm a very organized, detailed, go-getter, type A, choleric. I mean, all those little tests you can take that tell you about yourself and your personality. So I am an action taker. And I like to say yes and just do it. I raised three children and they're all high achieving kids. And we just had this lifestyle. We just do what we need to do. So procrastinating for me generally is going to be surrounded by unknowns. So if I'm stretching and growing to a new level and I'm surrounded by a bunch of unknown, I might be slower at taking action, but I don't procrastinate per se. Okay. How do you rehearse your speeches? For me, the best way is to actually go for a vigorous walk or run where my heart rate gets up and the endorphins are 
going and I say my speech in my head or possibly out loud, but most likely in my head. And I visualize the event. So I will visualize what I'm going to have on. I will visualize myself on the stage and I visualize delivering the material, but I do it while my heart rate's up and my endorphins are going freely. And what strategies do you use to connect with your audience? I love this question. This is really good. There are some really specific strategies that I use. Um, I'm very tall. I think people would use the word charismatic. I look people in the eye. I make connections with as many people in the audience one-to-one as I can. I actually elicit feedback non-verbally by perhaps looking someone in the eye and nodding my head or using my eyes in a way that's kind of like, you feel me, right? Like you and I are on the same page. And so I will do a lot of that. I also use humor because people laughing, they're automatically leaning in. So strategically place sarcasm and knowing your audience. Those are the tricks that work for Phaedra. I don't know that they will work for everyone. I also move about the country. (laughs) I'm not standing behind a podium clutching it for life. And there are some real strategic strategies that are actually subliminal that will make an audience feel more at ease. So say, for example, you're taking questions from the audience. One of the subliminal ways to be very effective of that is when you choose someone to ask the question, center yourself to the middle of the stage again. It's a non-threatening environment. And then when that person is done and you're going to answer them, go to the opposite side of the stage from where they are. So it creates a diagonal line between you and them. It's just a non-threatening way for everyone to feel safe and comfortable, and it's really effective as a speaker. Otherwise, sometimes if people walk towards the person when they're asking questions or they hover over when they're giving the the answer, it can feel... They're intimidating or annoying or just somehow off-putting. So going to the center of the stage to receive the question and then moving off to the opposite side to answer is just a really good tactic that I use. Wow, that's a good one. I like that one. I can actually, when you were sharing that strategy, I was imagining myself on stage or in, in a situation where I'm leading a seminar. And you're right, you know, when you're standing over someone, it's, it's, it's an intimidation factor. And so you may not get an honest, I guess, answer to the question if you are, you know, standing right off that person, if you will. So I I like that one. Is speaking a talent or a skill? (laughs) This is such an answer, but it's a combination of both. It really is. I think that we can learn how to use our voice and our inflection and give us that radio voice, as we like to call it. That can be taught. But I think a genuine appreciation for an audience and a genuine entertainer's heart, which I believe true speakers have, that is something that is born in you. And it would be really difficult to to choose it. Although I will say, and you're going to laugh because everyone does when they hear this for the first time, I am a true and authentic introvert. I knew you were going to say that. I am. And yet I can show up to be on any podcast host my podcast, speak in front of thousands of people, and you wouldn't think that of me. But that is my 
job. That is me putting Phaedra, America's Crisis Coach, on. And you'll find this with a lot of comedians. You'll find this with um, a lot of singers, even um, artists. They're actually introverts. That's why I'm a writer at, at heart. Writing is my first love. And the speaking is just part of what the requirement is for me to deliver this information that I have as an artist. Wow. It's a good point. This, you, I like what you just said. What, who you see online or on stage, that's me on my job. And there are times where I'm not being asked to be that person. And that's when I'm with my family. So I like that. There's a real Phaedra and then there's the paid Phaedra. Well, and she's the same. It's just the way she interfaces with people. So when I speak or I go to um, a workshop that's like three days long, mm-hmm. when I'm ho- coming home on the airplane, I won't want to chit-chat with my neighbor. I'm going to be disconnected because my batteries are filled from the isolation. So that's what makes me an introvert. Being shy or being antisocial has nothing to do with introversion. People equate the two. But I, in order for my batteries to recharge, I will come home after a conference or if I've spoke all day and I literally won't have the TV on, the radio on. I won't speak to anyone and that will refill my batteries. So I am the same person. It's just my delivery and my communication style look radically different on duty and off duty. So the question that I have is probably a very important question as I, as I thought about these questions and as an inspiring speaker, you you would hope that there's, there's a future. So the question for you, professional speaker who's been in the business for, I think you said 10 years, correct? Yes. Where is this industry going? Well, I feel the benefit for speakers really is in podcasting and video blogging. I feel that that is such a wonderful platform. I, I, um, iTunes and Stitcher and the opportunities for podcasting are free and they're low cost. Some would say low effort. It depends on how much emphasis you're putting on editing and things like that. But it's such a wonderful way for people to get a taste of you and people to build a tribe and to know, like, and trust you. It's a wonderful marketing tool for booking agents or people who book corporate speaking gigs. They can literally just go to a resource like iTunes and handpick people to come and speak. And for those who are up and coming and those who really do the work in the marketing end and foster and grow relationships, the speaking opportunities are limited because the ability to drive traffic to you and what you do and what you have to offer is unlimited. So for me, I think podcasting really, or even Blab, A lot of people are using that. I know there was Google Hangouts for a while. There's Periscope. All of those are actually opportunities for you to showcase yourself as a speaker. And you're doing a lot with, as I look at your platform, you've got a lot going on in building an online presence. Yeah, what's interesting for me, and I would love to, if you ever have repeat guests, come and talk about branding and marketing because I've been able to build a brand where I can't talk about my clients. And who can do that, right? That's really hard. And yet I've been able to do it so much so, and this is one other caveat I wanted to mention for your listeners, is that yes, I am America's crisis coach. And yes, I help people go through the worst times of their lives. But I get paid to speak about marketing and about branding and about how to be a podcaster and 
and all these other elements, how to be a blogger, because I'm good at those too. And I love to play in the different playgrounds. So it's important to make sure that when you're on your videos or whatever you're doing, that your brand is consistent. And on my website, I look very polished and professional. And, and what I'll say is I was getting feedback from people who might see me at a conference and had seen me online and their impression was, oh, she must be unapproachable because she looks so tall and all that. And anytime anyone talks to me, they're like, God, you're so awesome. You're so real. So what I did to counteract that is if you're a friend on my Facebook, you'll see I post videos from my car all the time. And I'll tell you the secret to why, because the natural light is the most flattering. I have a home that doesn't have a lot of natural light, but in my car, it's awesome. So I do these really fun, quirky little videos that are just done on my iPhone. They're done in landscape mode. Make sure you always do that. Make sure that you're using a little tripod or your steering wheel so you're not shaking. But those down-home videos really help people connect with me as just a regular old person. And then when you couple that with the good imagery that's on my website and the high quality videos, people see this well-rounded, full-bodied version of you and your brand. And it really helps people feel like they know, like, and trust you from every possible angle. That was a wonderful introduction that you gave me when I went to your website and said, okay, this is who I'm dealing with. And you are true to form. I mean, you are, you sound like you did on the video in terms of, you know, very approachable and it was very, very well done. But Wow, it was it was a lasting impression that I said, "Wow, if I can just if I can just begin my journey with something awesome like that, I'll, I'll you can." And that's what I I would really want you to take away from this and your listeners. I was so intimidated when I was getting into the online world because as soon as you think you know what you want to do, you find out that there's all these bells and whistles attached to it to make it happen, and it can feel like it's an emotional and a physical and a financial, you know, rabbit hole. And I have been through that fire and I've come out the other side and I'm excited to say it, it's strategic. You don't have to have every bell and whistle and there are really affordable ways to get your message out that looks really polished like that. So don't be intimidated when you see these really amazing websites and think, I can't afford that or I can't do that because I absolutely know that you can. Well, I'm, I'm going to take you up on that. So the last question I have before I give you the last word is there are so many resources out there, so many books out there. What book would you recommend to an, an aspiring speaker? And it doesn't have to be a speaking book. It just a book that just says, you've got to read this book. Well, I am going to give you a speaking book and it's from my dear friend, Felicia Slattery. And she's at FeliciaSlattery.com. And her book is called Kill the Elevator Speech. And it's all about how we are taught to have that, you know, little elevator speech and how that is just the dumbest thing ever. So I really recommend her book and I would love to connect the two of you so she can be a guest on your show as well. She is an amazing woman who teaches all types of amazing um, ways to speak and she does this amazing um, template that she has that I praise. They're for speaker one sheets. So all of us who are speakers, we really need to have these speaker sheets. And hers are templates, which means you can modify them yourself and you're not beholden to a designer. They're absolutely gorgeous. 
we can do the work instead of paying a ton to have it done for us. And then we can change it up easily for every speaking opportunity that comes our way. Well, that is a book that I'm going to run out and get and love to have her on the show. So with that, this is the last word. You get the last word. And I guess it's a two-part question. Your moment to inspire us, us listeners of Phaedra, the crisis coach who has been a professional speaker for over 10 years and has had many opportunities and has taken full advantage of those opportunities. How do you inspire us to do exactly what you're doing? I really just want you to see the grind as a wonderful opportunity for you to grow and to learn and to try on new things. Don't do your big speaking where everybody knows you. Go out to the remote areas where nobody knows who you are and try on your new ideas. And you'll get the feedback of whether or not it resonated with somebody or it didn't. And don't despise the day of small beginnings. One of my favorite speakers is Joyce Meyer, and she hates her voice to this day. She used to speak in dirty rooms in rented hotel areas and now she speaks to you know massive audiences and I just am so impressed by her and she is a mentor for me so don't despise the day of small beginnings and just keep putting one foot in front of the other and know and believe in yourself and make sure that you're using stories when you're speaking because that will resonate with people and they will know that you're truly there to be present and to be of value to them so those are my quick words of wisdom. That's, that's, that's exactly what I needed to hear. I think that's what we all need to hear. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Is that what you said? Yes. Fantastic. Well, it's at that time where I've got to let you go, Phaedra, the crisis coach, and you've been a fantastic first guest to a wonderful journey in speakers on speaking podcasts. Phaedra, how do we get in touch with you? How do we keep you on our on a short list if we ever go through a crisis? Thank you. So the easiest way to find me is at americascrisiscoach.com. And I have a brand new podcast myself out on iTunes called Coming Out of the Fire. As a matter of fact, Felicia Slattery is my very first guest. So if you want to know more about her and her speaking career, she talks all about it in the very first episode. So I would love for people to go by and listen to the podcast, rate it and review it. And also just give me feedback. What did you love about it? What did you wish were different? Because I am open to all of that constructive criticism. If you're going through a crisis or if you've been through the fire and you'd like to be considered as a guest, all you've got to do is go to my website. It's contact me forms everywhere and just tell me your story and we will connect. And I just want to say thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you very much for being my first guest. And I look forward to connecting with you online again, but most importantly, offline, because again, this is this is about who you know, and I'm so glad that I know you. Oh, me too. I am here to help. We are going to be fast, fast friends. Wow, what a treat to have Phaedra, America's Crisis Coach, on my first podcast. And I hope that you learn as much as I did on the show. This is just the beginning of many interviews to come of professional speakers who are here to share their skills, their expertise with us, the aspiring speakers. So if you have not subscribed to this podcast, please do so. And for more information about Speakers on Speaking, log on to our website at speakersonspeaking.com. Until then, listen, learn, and launch your speaking career. <laughs>